1: You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern, only on CNBC. It is 5 a.m. on Wall Street, and here is your top five at five. Surging stocks and tech's best day since November. We'll see if Wall Street can keep the rally going this morning as earnings kick into second gear. Already popping shares of Salesforce as one big-time investor jumps into the stock and may want change. Maybe good news for the economy? A new J.P. Morgan model showing the odds of a recession this year falling rapidly. But don't tell tech yet another company ready to lay people off. And later on, the place is topping a new list of the 10 best cities to buy a home this year. Here's a hint. You better load up on the sunscreen. It is Monday, January 23rd, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome, as always, from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for very much joining us on this Monday morning. Let's get right to it and see how we are kicking off the week. And right now, futures, well, not giving us a lot of help on direction there. A little change, pretty much flat across the board. The Dow may be up a little bit. The S&P down a bit. Again, we're just starting off the week. we got a lot of earnings to roll out. Now we're coming off what was a pretty strong finish To an overall lackluster week for stocks, the Nasdaq and Nasdaq 100, they had, on Friday, their best day since November. Now You've got earnings and the Fed, what else, still driving the macro market for sentiment. But buyers overall have come back into stocks this year. We'll talk more about that in the next couple of minutes and throughout the show. Now, the next Fed meeting is next week, January 31st to February 1st. And right now, bond yields not moving much at all, which has kind of been the theme recently. In fact, bond yields at 3.48, 3.5 percent have been very stable lately. And that has also helped stabilize mortgage rates as well. Energy, it has been a little less stable. Prices, they've been ticking back up. If you haven't been paying attention, you should. The price of crude oil is now back to $82 a barrel. It's at $81.96. Brent crude overseas is creeping back toward that $90 a barrel mark. Natural gas also even a little bit higher this morning. Now, for oil, you've got flights and jet travel in China soaring once again. Sorry, pun intended on that. But as far as oil goes, nothing has been as hot as crypto lately. That's right, crypto. Bitcoin back above 22,000. Bitcoin at 22,790. It is now up 45%. Since the FTX-related November lows, Bitcoin was below 16,000 in November. It is now creeping back toward 23,000. Wow, what a run for Bitcoin. All right, around the world, most markets in Asia are closed, in China anyway, the entire week for their Lunar New Year celebration. But Europe is very much open for business. Let's check in on it with Arabili Gumeda, who's in our London
2: newsroom. Good Monday morning, Arabili. Thank you. Yeah, good Monday morning to you then, O'Brien. So certainly, as you've been struggling for direction when it comes to the futures on the U.S. board, struggling for direction is certainly the case we're seeing out in Europe as well. Just above the flat line is pretty much where we're sitting, with not much impetus, of course, given from the Asian markets with the Lunar New Year being celebrated. So, indeed, not getting the kind of gains you perhaps would be getting, perhaps even not the levels you thought you would as well. So a general sense of positivity, even if it is just for now, getting word even then from ECB or European Central Bank President Christine Lagarde, really speaking about how 50 basis point hikes are still a thing that is bound to happen uh, even in this first quarter of the year, which does mean that you see the euro then go up to a nine-month high, particularly against the U.S. dollar. So that has been able to push things up a little bit uh, further as well. But a general sense of positivity, even with the stocks like Sunrise uh, falling 7% today, and that's on the back of them having missed their earnings. You have Remy Quantro managing to gain though uh, around 3% in this trading picture, and that's because Citigroup have decided to upgrade them from neutral to buy, uh, also increasing their target price there. So positivity is the aim of the game for now, with the euro also doing fairly well at this point in time. Brian.
1: Darabili, do appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you. All right. Now, let's get a check on some of this morning's top headlines, including more potential tech layoffs and maybe a big social media move for one Donald J. Trump. Silvana Hannau is here with that and more. Good morning, Silvana.
3: Brian, good Monday morning to you. Let's start with Salesforce because shares are popping in the pre-market. Multiple reports this morning that Elliott Management has taken a multi-billion dollar stake in the company. Details of the campaign are unknown, but history shows Elliott often seeks board representation and pushes for companies to make operational improvements. This coming after Salesforce earlier this month says it was laying off 10 percent of its global workforce. Coming off a nearly 5% gain Friday, watching Spotify again this morning on reports, the company is adding its name to the list of tech companies laying off staff in 2023. This week's reported cuts follows an earlier round of layoffs back in October, where it slashed around 38 positions. The company has about 9,800 employees worldwide. And Rolling Stone reports former President Trump may not renew his exclusive contract with Truth Social, Trump's 18-month contract with the social network he founded expires in June. The news outlet reports the former president has told people close to him he does not want to re-up. His current contract requires him to make any social media post on truth at least six hours before posting on any other social network, Brian.
1: So if he makes that move, one wonders where he may go. Where we is can he all going?
3: Speculate. <laughs> exactly. As to that.
1: Sylvana <laughs> Hanau, thank you. We'll see you in a few minutes. Sure all right, now to the latest on the growing crisis around President Biden and classified documents. Over the weekend, FBI agents and investigators spending 13 hours investigating President Biden's Wilmington, Delaware home, and they uncovered a third group of classified items. This is calls grow even among now some Democrats for a more deeper investigation into how this happened and why it was hidden from the public. NBC's Bree Jackson joining us from D.C. with more. Bree.
4: Good morning, Brian. Yeah, there's growing criticism from both sides of the aisle. Now, the White House is emphasizing that the nearly 13 hour search of the president's Delaware home took place at the invitation of Mr. Biden's lawyers. Mr. President A new round of criticism regarding President Biden's handling of sensitive government documents after an FBI search uncovered six additional items, including some with classified markings, at Mr. Biden's Delaware home Friday. Some go back as far as his time in the Senate.
0: Clearly, he's, he's become a serial classified document hoarder.
5: Why did he have these? Who did he show them to?
4: Administration officials say the latest search was prompted by the White House.
5: The president's attorneys reached out to DOJ, offered access to the House, and it was provided. Uh, And so they wanted to do that as part of this ongoing process of getting them the information they need, making sure that no other materials were in the house
4: this is the fourth batch of classified documents found between two locations president biden's private residence and his former dc office the total number remains unclear a special counsel is investigating the matter as are house republicans i think there are a lot of questions some democrats say the president made a mistake and should own up to it you just might as well say listen It's irresponsible. It was something we should have had a better check and balance on. Others in the party say the issue is not a deciding factor for voters.
5: I also don't think this is an issue that's keeping Americans up at night. Uh, I think they're worried about much more day-to-day things like uh, inflation, prices
1: at the pump, prescription drug prices.
4: President Biden's team is vowing to fully cooperate with the Justice Department's investigation. Department also sees notes Mr. Biden had personally written as Vice President. Brian?
1: Now Brian, it's not all that's going on in the White House. The investigation is happening just as President Biden's team is changing, a new chief of staff coming in.
4: Yeah, that's right. Well, sources tell NBC News that Jeff Zients uh, will become the new chief of staff. Now, you may recall that uh, Zients led the White House COVID-19 response team. He's expected to per- replace Ron Klain, uh, who is expected to leave after uh, the president's State of the Union address.
1: Bree Jackson in D.C. Bree, thank you. Good morning. All right, we are just getting started on a busy Monday. And when we come back, the R word, well, it certainly may have been thrown around a lot at recession, but one big bank says the odds, or Davos rather, but one big bank says the odds of recession this year are now lower than ever. Plus, first Google and others, now Spotify. Now, the big tech hiring headwinds are likely to play into earnings and later on, some hedge fund history being made at Ken Griffin's Citadel. It is the big money story you've got to hear and you will, but only if you keep it here on Worldwide Exchange.
4: What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
6: From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity from streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.
1: All right, welcome or welcome back and good Monday morning, everybody. Well, earnings, certainly they're ready to pick up in a big way this week. You've got 12 Dow components, and about one-sixth of the S&P 500 set to release their numbers this week. Lots of big companies, including Microsoft, Tesla, and, oh, yeah, Southwest Airlines, which, of course, still reeling for their holiday travel disaster. A lot of names going to keep us on our toes, certainly this week. All right, here are some potentially good news on the economy. The odds of a recession this year appear to be coming down. That, at least according to J.P. Morgan Chase. According to the firm's proprietary trading model, A number of asset classes now show less than a 50% chance of a recession. Look at that. That is a major reversal from October when markets across the board were pretty much largely all pricing in a contraction this year. And of course, that prediction or at least analysis kind of goes against their own CEO's view. Remember Jamie Dimon last year talking about an economic, quote, hurricane happening this year. So let's stay on the markets and the economy and welcome back in Joanna Gallegos, co founder of Bond Blocks, excuse me, an ETF focused on fixed income. Joanna, good Monday morning and and welcome back. Do you have a macro take on the US economy this year?
7: Well, it certainly seems like we may be ending or getting closer to the end of this rate cycle with the Fed, um, given last week's comments and some of the indicators we've seen over the last week. But we wouldn't necessarily sound the all clear here we still foresee volatility in the markets. And in particular, I think we we need to pay attention. It's been a fool's errand to not listen to the Fed's conviction about continuing their work until inflation gets down to 2%. So we do need to be a little cautious when we think about maybe an all clear here, but what you can't deny is that across the board, no matter how you look at it, this has been a risk on month Um, and we see investors moving into risk assets.
1: What's amazing to me, Joanna, is how little the 10-year yield has moved. It's at 3.48%, which is pretty much where it was six months ago. So for all the sort of hand-wringing over the Fed, what we're left with is the U.S. government 10-year at the same price and yield as 180 days ago. What do you make of that?
7: Yeah, I think we're just processing um, everything that's been going on through the economy. And we're getting to what we like to say is like the table has been set for 2023. You know, we we have a lot more certainty and clarity. where we're at. And so our view is that certainly in fixed income, all the fixed income asset class has a huge potential to deliver better performance in 2023. We're at new rate levels we haven't seen in in over a decade or or plus. And so you're really resetting valuations in a way that are very attractive. And I think the market is is settling in on, on what's next. And we have gotten past different points of market exuberance in 2022, which were probably overstated. And then we watched You know, the Fed, you know, doubled down on its on its on its path. And so now it just looks like probably a more clear path for these markets. And that's maybe where the stability is coming from.
1: Well, you run a fixed income focused ETF, and I would imagine that corporate defaults, which would be related to the macro economy for the most part and interest rates are top of mind. So if if I look into your ETF or other parts of the the fixed income market, do I assume that, which is always a dangerous word, by the way, that corporate <laughs> default rates, bankruptcies, and bonds going bust are going to increase this year? Or do you think they can kind of ride it out and stay relatively where they are?
7: Well, it feels that even though they could trend higher, um, they, we certainly project that corporate defaults will remain lower than their long-term average. And we just have to remember that these companies are starting from a strong, uh, uh, a stronger place than they than they maybe would have in other recessions. They have better balance sheets. They did a lot of refinancing of their debt throughout the pandemic when rates were low. And, so, and their fundamentals probably allow them, you know, all those things coupled together, I'll allow them to weather this storm a, a little bit better. And if we are softening on our expect, expectations on recession, you know, then you may see some defaults, but you're also seeing some really important differentiation of returns across you know, triple C's are up significantly this month. That doesn't mean, again, there's an all clear, but you can really kind of look into areas of quality in credit, in high yield, in and NIG. And, and, and we, we project, you know, um, because of higher yields, you're going to have a, a very strong performance here for fixed income. So, more to come, but a really strong place that companies are starting from relative to other recessions and other downturns.
1: Yeah. Yeah, much more to come. It's only January 23rd, after all. Joanna Gallegos, yeah. thank you very much. Have a great day. Good seeing you. Thank See you again.
7: Thank you so much. All right, a lot
1: more to do here on this January 23rd. You're very welcome. Still on deck. The places is topping a new list of the 10 best cities to buy a home this year. James Cameron adding a new $2 billion feather to his movie-making cap. And live from New York is a President Biden's surprise Saturday Night Live appearance only be your top-trending stories, and it's ahead. Uh, welcome or welcome back. A very serious developing story this morning following this weekend shooting in Monterey Park, California, where a gunman is suspected of killing 10 people at a dance hall before fatally shooting himself. NBC's Jay Gray joining us down from Monterey Park just outside of Los Angeles with the very latest. Jay.
0: Hey, good morning, Brian. And, you know, just hours before the killing spree in this dance hall, which is just behind us here, the streets in this neighborhood. Filled with thousands who were wrapping up the first day of an annual two-day festival to ring in the Lunar New Year, the celebration quickly shifting to horror and heartache here. Additional units
7: requested multiple victims, gunshot
0: wounds. A spray of gunfire cuts through a packed Monterey Park dance club. The scene,
1: chaos, as police first arrive. And my young officers did their job, searched for a suspect, and then came back and had to deal with the carnage that was inside. And it
2: was, it was extensive.
0: 10 dead, 10 more wounded. The suspect, according to police, on the run, showing up at a similar ballroom in nearby Alhambra about 20 minutes later, where he's confronted by people inside the club.
1: And he was disarmed uh, by two community members who I consider to be heroes because they saved lives.
0: As he escapes, witnesses get a glimpse of his vehicle.
8: They have this white cargo van completely surrounded right now.
0: Police tracking it down 12 hours later in Torrance.
2: They're breaching the van.
0: Inside, 72-year-old Hu Kan Tran. The man police say is responsible for the killing spree, dead from what appears to be a self-inflicted gunshot wound. According to investigators, evidence inside the van ties Tran to both locations. What it doesn't do is help to explain how or why it happened. And it does little to ease the concerns of this frightened, grieving community.
4: Hearing this happen now is just very shocking, very, very, um, very sad, you know, um, because you, it's just confirming that there's no safe place anymore.
0: Officials haven't released the names of the victims. Police say five were men, five women, and described them as, quote, probably in their 50s, 60s, and beyond. Brian?
1: Another awful story, Jay. Do we know any more about the initial response by police? And can you give us some perspective on the annual celebration there in Monterey? From what I understand, it it is a very big event. Also, do we have anything more on motive? Yeah,
0: it, it really is a huge event. We know that police were here within three minutes, and, and really there was a huge force that showed up to, to try and uh, figure out what was going on and obviously uh, understanding what had happened to try and find out where this gunman may be. No word on the motive at this point, and, and that's something investigators say may take some time as, as their investigation continues. As for the event, it, it really is a, a major event. It's something they hold every year. Uh, this is a town of about 59,000, but about 100,000 show up each year uh, for this celebration to bring in the Lunar New Year. So it almost doubles the size of the city. And a lot of people look forward to the festival that includes food trucks, vendors, and uh, celebrations that stretch into the evening and into these types of, of dance halls where people, uh, again, celebrate the uh, Lunar New Year. It's, it's something that... Uh, Uh, really just wrecked this community at a time, Brian, when obviously they were looking to uh, enjoy themselves and and bring in the new year with friends.
1: Jay Gray out there, Monterey Park, California. Tough day for that community as well, and many, many families. Jay, thank you very much. All right, now let's get a check on some of this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Philip Menem is in New York now with those. Philip.
5: Hi, Brian. Good morning. Jury selection begins today in the murder trial of Alex Murdoch. The once prominent lawyer is accused of murdering his wife and their son in June of 2021. During a pretrial hearing in December, a prosecutor gave a possible motive for the crime, alleging that Murdoch had schemed and stolen around eight and a half million dollars from more than a dozen victims. The prosecutor suggested that he was so desperate to escape the accountability that he killed his wife and son and covered it up to gain sympathy. If he's found guilty, Murdoch could face life in prison without parole. Right, shifting over to playoff football now, the 49ers and Cowboys went head to head for a spot in the NFC Championship game. Seattle came up big for San Francisco with 95 yards receiving, including that amazing juggling catch in the third. A late score by Christian McCaffrey was enough for the 49ers to hold on, eliminating the Cowboys 19 to 12. Over in the AFC, the Bengals were on the prowl from the opening drive. Cincinnati braved those snowy conditions to score on their first two possessions. The Bengals smothered Buffalo's offense, and they are now heading back to the AFC championship game with the win 27-10. to And then there were four. It's a rematch in the AFC Championship game as the Chiefs look for revenge against Joe Burrow and the Bengals. And the 49ers head east to play Philly and the Eagles with a spot in Super Bowl 57 on the line. Finally, border officials are reporting a big spike in the illegal crossing of eggs. The number more than doubled in the last three months of 2022 when U.S. egg prices began to soar. According to an online news site called Border Report, a carton of 30 eggs cost well under four bucks in Ciudad Juarez, Mexico. while here in the U.S., you'd be hard pressed to find a dozen eggs for near, or near that price. A reminder that bringing uncooked eggs into the U.S. is prohibited and can lead to fines. Brian, that's it from here. Send it back to you.
1: The illegal egg crossing. There we go. And you, are, yep. you are not yoking, apparently, on that story, Philomena. <laughs> Thank not. you very much, and I apologize for the – no, you are not. <laughs> oh, it's early, folks. Why not? All right, we got a lot of stuff to be serious about. Let's make an egg joke. All right, when we come back, your morning RBI and where the shoppers really pop over the holidays. Plus, more trouble for Abbott Labs. The Fed's taking a second look at their baby formula plant shutdown last year. And by the way, if you have not already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange any day, of course, you can always – Stream or download it on all of the major podcasting platforms. We thank you for your service. We are back right after this. Can your money keep the hot start going to the year? Tech keeps rocking in 23, while the Dow and the S&P look to get back on track after their first losing week of the year. But could tech's run hit a big pothole of reality? Earnings and guidance starting to roll out. More companies keep slashing payroll. Janet Yellen throwing cold water on one crazy $1 trillion idea to try to solve the U.S. government's debt ceiling dilemma. We'll tell you about it on this Monday, January 23rd. And this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All welcome or welcome back and good Monday morning, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. By the way, happy 66th birthday to the Frisbee. Yeah, the Frisbee. Today in 1957, the first Frisbees rolled off the toy line at Wham-O, remember them, and became a massive hit. And here's an RBI. They're named after the Frisbee Pie Company because people used to throw the empty pie tins at each other. They kind of improved on that design, made them plastic. The rest is history. All right, you didn't need to know that, but now you do. There you go. All right, here's how things look. To start the week on things you do need to know about, which, of course, is the stock market. And we aren't seeing futures do a whole lot as well. They're not taking off like whammo. The Dow's down eight points, futures anyway. So no real indication of how the market will go. It's coming off a slightly lower week for the S&P 500, although has overall been a pretty good start to the year for most stocks. In fact, the majority of stocks are higher, many up more than five or even 10 percent. What about fixed income? Well, 10-year Treasury yields right now, right around 3.5%, like we talked about. Despite all the focus on the Fed, I mean, every day for the last number of months, yields are basically exactly where they were six months ago, 348 3.5%. All this, as the Wall Street Journal reports over the weekend, that the Federal Reserve may start talking about so-called pauses and rate hikes at its meeting at the end of the year. Of January, the article Fed sets course for milder interest rate rise in February. It's not a pivot. It would be a pause in energy, by the way. Oil, it has been running higher recently. China demand, it is popping. And the strategic petroleum sales, they're over. Demand up. Supply may be coming down a bit. Crude oil back above 82. And in Europe, it is over 88. Natural gas also up a little bit this morning. By the way, still, though, remains very depressed. The weather, though, may be about to turn cold here in the New York area. And how about this? Or maybe like a bonus little mini RBI for you. It has now been 321 days without any measurable snowfall in New York City. Nobody's complaining, I don't think, except maybe the kids and their sleds. But that is one of the longest stretches without any measured snow ever in modern recorded history for New York City. It was like fifty-five degrees in New Jersey the other day, literally working in the yard in a long sleeve t shirt in mid-January. All right. Let's get back now to Silvana right now. He's got some more key headlines, including another potential hit for Abbott Labs as the Fed step up their investigation into the recent baby food shortage. Silvana.
3: Brian, yes. So the Justice Department confirming it has opened an investigation into Abbott Laboratories baby formula plant in Michigan. That facility was shut down for months last year due to contamination issues and was a key contributor to a nationwide baby formula shortage. Abbott has not specified what aspect of the company is under DOJ scrutiny. The U.S. government is reportedly launching a new probe into Amazon. According to The Wall Street Journal, the Manhattan U.S. Attorney's Office is looking into whether the company might have misled lenders about its workplace safety record to obtain credit. The Journal says Amazon has said it intends to appeal the citations and that it never intentionally misrepresented its safety record. And the Journal is also reporting that Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is shooting down one idea to potentially keep the U.S. from breaching its debt limit. Speaking during her overseas travels, Yellen dismissed using an obscure law allowing the minting of a $1 trillion coin to avoid default. The move has been floated by some Biden administration officials and congressional Democrats. The Journal says Yellen added the Fed, which would have to accept the deposit of the coin, would not go along with such a plan, Brian.
1: The $1 trillion coin, the fact that we're dollars. even addressing it, the fact we're even addressing <laughs> right. it, Janet Yellen is addressing it. I mean, yes. it's, pretty, it's been around for a while, that <laughs> yeah. idea. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Silvana, thank you very much. You how it, how right. big would that, would it just be like a mini coin, would it be a Bitcoin? Silvana, thank you. All right, now, let us talk tech because it has been a pretty hot year so far for many stocks. The Nasdaq on a three-week win streak, up more than 3.5% so far this year. Now, this coming, even as or maybe because many big tech firms are laying off thousands of employees. In fact, more than 55,000 layoffs have so far been announced in tech just this month. Look at that. And just this morning... Maybe another. There are multiple reports that Spotify is planning a round of layoffs. All this as earnings begin to roll out with Microsoft, IBM, Tesla and Intel, among others, set to report their numbers this week. Let's talk more about it all with Ian Whitaker. He is founder and analyst at Liberty Sky Advisors. Ian, thanks for joining us. Really, I guess, two ways to look at these layoffs and obviously very, very difficult for the families and and everyone involved in the actual layoffs themselves. Number one is they're predicting the economy and their business is slow and they need to trim headcount. Or number two, maybe they overhired in the last few years and are just kind of getting back to where they need to be. How do you read it?
8: I think you've got a combination, really, of those factors that are coming through. I mean, it's probably no coincidence that the tech companies are actually cutting at the same time that the investment banks are cutting as well. And, and in both cases, they probably overhired in terms of the number of people who, were, who they actually hired during the, during the past 18 months. I think also as well what you have here is shareholder pressure, which is coming through to do something. Margins actually last year, if you look for a lot of the tech companies, actually fell down sharply. Now, a lot of the factor there was not only slowing revenue growth, it was also the fact as well of the dollar strength sort of in terms of a lot of the costs for tech companies are in dollars. If you look at their revenues, sort of they tend to be throughout the world. So they got really impacted by that. I think a third factor you've also got here as well is just the rise of interest rates that have been coming through as well. And again, there, if you look at the situation, is that for many of these companies, and probably for more of the fringe projects or or more of the long-term projects, what maybe worked as a project when the, the weighted average cost of capital was, let's say, 9%, 10%, 9%, 10%, maybe the numbers didn't stack up when it, when that cost of capital went up to 13 14 or above. And therefore, for many of the teams that working on non-core projects, maybe there was a yep. the feeling that they sort of should be let go.
1: I hear what you're saying about margins and currency translations, but one wonders what is laying off thousands of workers going to do to help the currency markets and a, and a, and a slight because they weren't huge drops in margins. And of course, currencies could, could turn around. I wonder if there's something a little bit bigger there, Ian.
8: No, I think there's definitely, there, there is obviously slowing fundamentals coming through as well. If you look at the likes, for example, uh, of Meta, you look at Snap, you look at what's been happening in terms of Google, the revenue growth has been slowing down. They were coming off tough comparables when it came to 2021 in terms of the revenue growth numbers there. And there's always a feeling, so there's always, as it were, exuberance in the markets when you get those sort of numbers that that sort of rate of growth can continue but obviously as well there were some more fundamental problems for these companies meta obviously has the issues with regards to what's happening with sort of of apple and its privacy changes if you look at google that's been impacted in terms of youtube there are questions sort of also about search now that are coming forward even microsoft which has traditionally been a very very safe play and has talked sort of as more sort of really exposed the b2b side Again, talking about whether clients are actually slowing down their spending in terms of, of cloud. So all these factors, these business factors are also feeding into these decisions as well. Really, what you've got here, are, yeah. sort of, I would say, several factors coming together at once.
1: Well, the interest rate story is one that's huge. By the way, it's not just limited to technology, Ian. I mean, if you're like an oil and gas company... Or, you, by the way, you want to build a wind farm off the, you know, a $12 billion you know, windmill farm for energy off the coast of the U.K. or the U.S., and you start to factor in your cost of capital, long-term risk-adjusted returns. Things at 6% suddenly don't look very good when they look maybe great at 2 to 3%. And for technology companies like Google, like to just take these big shots in the dark, higher rates, I think, are going to pull back a lot on those types of moonshots.
8: I, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, it, again, it comes back to this point. What maybe at a, a lower cost of capital looked, looked feasible sort of doesn't when the higher cost of capital comes through. What it's really, though, sort of a... a I mean, for companies like Alpha, for Alphabet and, and Meta and, and Microsoft, where they're already generating significant amount of profits, then, yeah, it's definitely a factor. But think about also, as well, for all those technology companies that are generating losses at the moment, and really, what sort of where their promise is, is very much the profits in the future and the terminal value, and sort of of the long dated profit streams that are coming through. For those type of stocks, where the sort of where they're making yeah. losses now, the rise in interest rates has been absolutely catastrophic because it's just it's just really undercut the sort of the valuation story on these. So, yeah. as long as this environment remains. Yes, you know, as you were saying before, it sounds though sort of maybe they be pause in, in Fed hikes, but it doesn't sound as though there will be a reversal. And so I think the sector, what you're seeing at the moment in the sector is relief at the moment. You, you'll obviously get some sort of rebound. Yeah. Facts would come through. But if rates don't come down yeah. lower, then there's likely to be a limit to that.
1: Yeah, it's it, it pause is not the pivot with interest rates. Certainly, they could be high for a while and, and knock out a lot of these projects. Ian Whitaker, Liberty Sky Advisors. Ian, thanks for joining us. You have a great day. I appreciate you. it. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, your morning RBI and a really interesting look at what states are seeing shopping, popping, and others, where the shoppers may be staying home. But as we head to break, some of your top trending stories right now. President Biden making a surprise video appearance on Saturday Night Live. He joined White Lotus star and first-time host Aubrey Plaza, who joked that she beat out him as the most famous person from Delaware. Disney's Avatar sequel topping $2 billion at the global box office. That makes it the third James Cameron movie to gross $2 billion or more, along with Titanic and the original avatar. And the National Association of Realtors, out with a list of the best cities to buy a home in this year. See if you can spot a trend. The real estate hot list is Atlanta, Raleigh, North Carolina, and the Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas metro area. In common for all three, well, they're emerging tech hubs in America. They've all got strong job markets, median home prices below 500,000, and oh yes, They're all relatively warm, and in the south, Worldwide Exchange is back in a moment. Today's RBI is going deep into shopping and consumer spending and where the wallets may be coming out or staying in in America. But before we break out the map, let's talk about the macro. And the macro actually looks pretty good, at least compared to the last few years. So how do we know this? Well, Gravy Analytics tracks consumer movement data where people are going and where they may be shopping. And look at this. This chart goes back two years and it measures foot traffic to shops and malls. And you can see on the far right there that the December showed the most foot traffic pop in two years. But it it wasn't just December. There was also that above average trend in the months right before that. You can see, of course, the big COVID-related dips. Now, That does not mean we know if people are spending money, but we do know that they are out and about at shops and malls. So that is a a good thing, unless I guess, of course, they're overloading. they are already overloaded credit cards. But hey, let's be optimistic on this Monday. All right. So that is the macro nationally. Pretty good. But Gravy Analytics can also dig into state and regional data over that same time period And we can see where there were some of the biggest changes around America since January of 2021. That is a two-year look. And we have a tie for the biggest pop, both Florida and Nevada, with a 37% jump in retail foot traffic over the past two years. Some months up, some months down, but some months way up. Now, that was followed by California and Arizona, who actually both tied as well, with a 26% jump. Clearly, warm weather is a good thing for people getting out. At least it was during COVID. Which brings us to the flip side. The worst in America for retail foot traffic. <laughs> I'm not going to surprise any of you here. I mean, you could name them without me saying them. But I'm going to say them anyway. New York, Illinois, and New Jersey. Ice cold. Bringing up the rear. Gravy Analytics Notes at New York State Actually had a 5% drop over the past two years on average. Most of that, yep, during the depths of the pandemic when pretty much everything was shut down. But New York, along with Illinois and New Jersey, just have not had a retail foot traffic recovery like many other states. And by the way, that does seem to be a, a larger trend for a lot of things recently. Random, hopefully. Interesting. Interesting. All right, on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, Greg Branch is back laying out a busy trading week ahead and why he's toning down his rather optimistic outlook for the year. We'll ask him why next. All right, welcome back. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. WEX is what we call the show Worldwide Exchange. Get it? WEX. Six stories you might have missed as we close in on the 6 o'clock hour. Here we go. Shares of Salesforce popping in the pre-market. Multiple reports this morning that Elliott Management has taken a multi-billion dollar stake <clears throat> excuse me, in the company. Details of the campaign are unknown. Rolling Stone reports former President Trump may not renew his exclusive contract with Truth Social. Trump's 18 month contract with the social network he founded expires in June. Ken Griffin's Citadel making hedge fund history raking in 16 billion in profits last year. That is the biggest dollar gain ever by any hedge fund, and it surpasses the roughly $15.5 billion made by John Paulson back in his 2007 bet against the subprime mortgage market. Brazil and Argentina are talking about the creation of a common currency, leaders from both nations emphasizing the need for greater economic integration. And Goldman Sachs Asset Management Group is reportedly reducing its $59 billion exposure to alternative investments. That over the next few years after returns weighed heavily on the bank's most recent earnings report. And finally, new trading models from JPMorgan Chase showing the odds of a recession are falling sharply across multiple markets. Seven of the nine asset classes JPM tracks now show less than a 50% chance of a recession this year. Maybe some good news. All right, gearing you up for the trading week ahead. You got Congress back in session after its Martin Luther King Day recess. Also get earnings out of Baker Hughes and Synchrony Financial. On Tuesday, several economic reports out, including the Philadelphia Fed, Non-Manufacturing Index, Manufacturing PMI, Services PMI, earnings out of 3M, GE, Lockheed Martin, Raytheon Technologies, and Microsoft as well. They all reporting their numbers also on deck. The new Apple MacBook Pro laptops and Mac mini computers go on sale. The Senate Judiciary Committee will hold its hearing on competition in the ticketing industry. Like, you know, try to get Taylor Swift ticket. How about, by the way, have you looked at prices for Bruce Springsteen's summer tour? Take a look at the, the, the boss. He's getting boss-like prices, like $900 for average seats. All right, on Wednesday... You're going to get weekly mortgage applications numbers, earnings out of AT&T, Boeing, IBM, and Tesla. On Thursday, it's initial jobless claims, durable goods, and a bunch of other numbers. Let's bring in Greg Branch. of uh, Greg, we gotta, we gotta, I can just read this forever. Greg, it's great to have you back on. Thanks for joining us. What are you looking for most closely this week?
9: The jobs number, probably, of everything you said. Uh, and to see if it continues to defy the expectations that the Fed had when they embarked on this rate-hiking program. Remember, one of their primary concerns, Brian, is that services inflation. You talked about the bosses' tickets, uh, case in point. Uh, so yeah. the services inflation is the Fed's primary worry. And remember, that is uh, primarily driven by wage growth. And wage growth is tri- primarily driven by the fact that we have an overabundance of jobs, almost two jobs for every worker. What we also saw in the fed beige book is that businesses, even as they slow down, even as they prepare for a slowdown, simply aren't letting go of workers. So it's changed my outlook on 2023 a bit, Brian, because if the duration's going to be elongated between Fed action and the result they expect, this might last a little bit Mm -hmm. longer uh, than we anticipate, particularly if you're like me and you think that whether it's 25 or 50 next week, that there's probably 150 basis points behind that as well.
1: Yeah, and we got the meeting coming up here at the January 31st to February 1st. There was a journal story over the weekend, Greg, about sort of they may be ready to talk about a pause. But let's be clear, a pause is not a pivot. It's not like we're going to go from 5% back down. Are you predicting, like the Fed has tried to hit us over the head with, higher rates for maybe years?
9: I don't disagree with that at this point, and, and I think uh, it's misguided to even think about a pause at this juncture. You know, The Fed had a target, I'll call it a target, they, had, they called it a forecast, I'll call it a target, of unemployment of 4.6% to bring wage growth in line with what would lead to some deterioration in that services inflation uh, metrics. But we're at 3.5%, labor's going the other way. And you know, we saw in the last jobs number, it was well below consensus at 190,000, uh, almost historically low. Continuing claims were well below consensus, historically low, consistent with a hot job market. And so I don't see how we can consider a pause at this juncture when we haven't seen a major contraction in the economy, when inflation levels are still historically high. Yes, they're not 9%. But that 6% CPI we just saw was on top of 6% the year before, actually 7% the year before. So prices are unsustainably high in the Fed's view. And the labor market just hasn't seen any signs of relenting. And so as long as we're at 3.5% or anything less than 4% unemployment, I don't see how we can even conceive of a pause.
1: So what do we do? You know, Greg, I mean, where do we like people act like higher rates are a nasty thing and I get it. They are nasty for many things. But hey, you know what? Like getting four percent on a 10 year treasury yield, pretty much risk free. It's not the end of the world, honestly. I mean, I hate to say it's not sexy, but it's comforting, maybe.
9: And, And I think that that's exactly right, Brian. Bringing some perspective to the discussion is important. You know, I often talk to people who uh, seem to have this attitude that it's the end of the world and have to remind them, hey, we remember when they were 11% interest rates. So it's not that that, that we're at some draconian level of interest rates that's going to bring the economy to a halt at a 6% terminal rate or even slightly higher. Uh, No, we can't have free money forever. Uh, In terms of the market, I think that we have some nice stories that will develop throughout the year. I think that we will be in agreement when the Fed is done towards the middle of the year and we won't be looking to the fed and it's in, and the relevant data points for the ups and downs in the market anymore we'll probably refocus yeah. on valuation and as long as the um as long as the uh, budget or, or the debt ceiling uh, debate doesn't derail us i think estimates will actually come back to a reasonable level as well and we'll have some good opportunities mid year
1: Greg Branch, excuse me, Veritas Financial. Greg, appreciate you kicking off the week for us, my man. Thank you very much. We'll see you again soon. Have a great day, folks. That does it for us as well here on Worldwide Exchange. Hope you have a great day, too. We'll see you tomorrow. Squawk Box is next. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in.